everybody, and welcome back to another edition of This Week in Innovation. Brian and I both have been traveling quite a bit, and so we've we've missed a couple of recording sessions, but we are back. So, Brian, how are you doing today? Doing great, Jeff. I had a good vacation in St. Thomas. So I spent, I think, about 10 or 12 days there. It was very relaxing. And, and unfortunately, toward the very tail end of it, I ended up getting COVID. My family came back and I get to stay there and quarantine for a, a couple of days till I got a negative test. So now I am back home. Everything's all good. Congratulations, I guess, on that. You've got all those wonderful antibodies. I had an awesome family kind of reunion slash wedding. It was three days of different events and whatnot. And by the time I got back to Morgan Hill, guess what I had? I So I tested positive also. So I had two days. Wasn't the worst thing I've ever done wasn't the best, but I'll take the two days of COVID for the three days worth of getting reacquainted with all the family that we really haven't seen physically in two or three years. So glad to see we're both on the mend and we're ready to roll. Awesome. Awesome. And we are also super excited today, Jeff. We have Sandeep here. And in a minute, we'll let Sandeep introduce himself and, and his accomplishments and what his new initiative and his new, new company. But super excited to have Sandeep here. It's very interesting because I met Sandeep when I was at Turner investing in companies and uh, we invested in his company, Videogram, uh, several years ago. Right? It was And like a few of the Turner brands used it. Even I think when NBA did a bit of stuff and a lot of Sports branded stuff, the entertainment brands used to. Uh, it's super interesting to see a longtime entrepreneur and a friend <laughs> in the show. That sounds great. Let's bring him on board. Welcome, hey guys. Thank you. Thank you for the thank you for the opportunity to talk today. I'm really excited to talk everything metaverse and retail. And looking forward to some interesting and intriguing conversation between you guys. Fantastic. Cindy, why don't we get started by, I'll just let you introduce yourself. And I don't know if you want to go through your entire profile because <laughs> it's quite lengthy with a ton of interesting things. So maybe just give us like the super high overview and uh-huh, then what you're working yeah. on. Sure. Let me actually make my profile short enough so it's relevant to, to today's discussion. There you go. Yeah. So I started uh, my career at Ford Motor Company, basically doing things, uh, computer-aided uh, design and computer-aided manufacturing software. And uh, at around, interestingly, around 1993, uh, 94, there was an interesting project at General Motors, uh, which involved using the first version of the metaverse. And this was a virtual reality project for crash analysis and design of cars. The cars usually are clay modeled first before they are actually put into prototype and then goes through a different process of engineering. So this was an interesting moonshot project at GM that got me first involved in the We'll talk about it a bit more. I want to have a lot more questions in the preceding uh, conversation. And after GM, I ended up at Industrial Light and Magic, which is part of Lucas Films. I'm sure people know Star Wars and stuff like that. So that was like the second version of the metaverse. This is 1997 or so. And that got me into a lot of things. What has ended up being talked about today as being the next whatever the internet. And we'll discuss that in a bit as well. Past that, I was interested in doing a lot of things in the broadcasting. Yeah, not necessarily on the motion picture side. So I did short stints at BBC and CNN. I ended up at Rocks Park in Palo Alto looking at next generation media. And one of my patents was in video AI area, and it got uh, picked. Uh, it was basically Fujifilm that wanted me to come into Japan and help them with the transformation of analog to digital, and that's how I ended up in Japan. At Fuji, we were looking at how to transform the company from analog film to digital film. Uh, and that kind of meant looking at services in the media sector. So that ended up being my startup, my first startup that I spun off our Fujifilm with about 30 patents. 
Uh, and this was a company in video AI. And I started this in Japan, contrary to a lot of people saying you shouldn't do it, come back to Silicon Valley. But I resisted and I said, no, I'm going to do this in Tokyo. I raised money from NTT Docomo, Samsung, Saki Broadcasting, and as well as Tuna, which is where I met Tuna So that company is in the process of exiting right now. So contrary to popular belief that only Silicon Valley companies can exit and succeed. We have managed to do this in Japan, even though I'm not Japanese. I have to make a company here and raise money from local investors and that is coming up now. So that's kind of where the background is. So it's been in AI, it's been in 3D graphics, it has been in infrastructure for those virtual reality stuff that I initially started off with. All of those are basically what the metaverse is being bandied about today. So we can go into much more details about what's What's good about the metaverse? What's bad about the metaverse? And is it a concept that could take off in the next few years? Wow, that's fantastic. Let's start with the first question I'd have is when you were doing the work back in the mid-90s, were you using the term metaverse or what were you, or is it just really augmented reality that you were working in? We were, interestingly, at that point of time, the devices didn't exist for us to be calling it VR or any such thing. So the first version of the metaverse is, believe it or not, is a big cube that would sit in the center of the, center of the room. It's from made from Ascension technology, and it's a magnetic cube that tracks your location X, Y. And there are basically sensors around the room that then calibrates and tells you exactly where you are in space. And with a very rudimentary 3D glasses that are being used for watching 3D movies back in, you know, whenever, 60s or 40s. So those glasses were being that's what we used in order for us to view the car in three dimension. And since then, obviously, things have really taken off. And if you go to any one of these design centers today, whether it's GM or Ford or Toyota, all of them now use the metaverse in, in for them to assemble the cars that are being basically designed in remote places. An example would be a tire might be being designed in Japan and a uh, IP panel of the car might be designed in, let's say, Detroit. And they have to put this together. And putting it together means there's a lot of collusions that uh, probably could uh, could come into play. And using this metaverse in a three-dimensional space with the, with the glasses on, they're able to basically assemble this uh, and figure out collusions and figure out all kinds of engineering issues that come up when you start to integrate lots of parts from different places. So it was in front of the metaverse is something that I think much the word came up much later. In, into the vocabulary, but it was very much a metaverse, for lack of any other word. What's really, I find interesting about that is I'm a multi-engine pilot and I trained in some of the simulators you might have been actually designing or whatnot. We certainly never used that term. It was just a simulator. Simulated motion, sim- it definitely simulated all the instrumentation. So it was a right. augmented reality world. Um, we just called it right. simulators. So we were using that technology right. really back in the 80s and in early 90s. Right. If I had to put a term to it as to what we did at GM, I would probably call it mixed reality, yeah. uh, not a metaverse, because that's what it was. It was taking into physical objects and using the digital overlays on top of it to... Uh, so, for example, we would put a person in a cave which, which would be surrounded by, you would be sitting on a seat, or she would be sitting on a seat and holding the wheel. And we would basically simulate the crash of the car so that the motion sensors on the seat could actually give you a feedback, tactile feedback. So it was a mixed reality in many ways. It was kind of what the metaverse is being banded about today, but that's what existed back in 95, 96. 
Brian, what do you think about that? I think that retail is going to be really more about mixed reality, far more than maybe a digital shopping mall or whatnot, although we've already had a couple of interviews with folks that actually want to build that. What do you you come down on on what? No, I think that's a great thought, great question. I think the thing is that it's going to be a combination of a few things, but I think the one, there are technologies and experiences, consumer experiences that work, and there are things that somewhat pie in the sky and it takes a while to adapt. Right? Today, if you look at social, the frenzy mechanism is a very, very established and a very, very used mechanism that everybody knows how to post pictures and interact with the cards, the ID card style or the Twitter card style. So I think it takes, a, at the end of the day, I think it, it's all about consumer adoption and how consumer, consumers are used to. But I think in my mind, two, there will be two low-hanging fruits. The first one will be like augmented reality to a large degree because that's already working in the beauty industry, virtual try-on, clothes-fitting scenarios like in stores like Lowe's and others where you have virtual reality modeling of the living room. So things like that, those are happening, right? So that will continue to grow and grow, right, and get better. But then there is the other section where, you know, existing metaverse platforms, instead of retailers trying to build a platform, they can partake in an existing metaverse platform. Right, like the gaming platforms or platforms that are already established. Because at the end of the day, the problem with these things is that at one point when social networking became very popular, everybody wants to create their closed social network. But today, if you look at the retailers, how many of them actually have a closed loop social network? In fact, zero. I think and zero, they, right? I can't think of one. Yeah, they do a little bit thing like community and forum, but they're essentially just forums. Like if nobody really has an active community network that they are maintaining and really nurturing. It's worked a little bit in the direct selling industry. We have done that with table, with the pamper chip and others. But that works in that industry because that's how the manual industry itself operates. That's how the direct selling industry operates. But in the trade- if I may sorry Brian if I may segue in, I think one of the things that I would like to basically make it important for us to discuss is that in the lap, in the version of where we are today, which you know, the social networking era, everybody created their own islands and then yeah. basically and, and their own systems, and that's where the ruling is right now. Twitter rules their own thing, Facebook does their own thing. In my opinion, if we really want to talk about basically doing the next generation or whatever this is called, the metaverse, it needs to be an open platform where everybody has democratic participation in how they monetize and how they actually use the metaverse. And it should not end up it should not end up being the fiefdoms because today, which is the social network. Yes. So that is one of the reasons why I'm, I'm sorry to basically you know, rain down on Meta or Facebook. We don't want a Meta to be doing a metaverse that's closed and then making all the retailers conform to their business models, which is ludicrous. There, Meta is asking 47% revenue share on you know, any kind of uh, monetization that happens on their metaverse. So I think we all have to make an effort and try to make this into an open metaverse. It should be like what the internet was open. And then on top of the internet was we built all these social media networks that became fiefdoms. And I think it should go back to the old principle of open for everybody and have everybody make basically make their own, uh, make their own monetizations, make no fiefdoms. Everybody should actually be participating in an open forum. Uh, with uh, hopefully open source protocols and stuff like that. So that uh, I think that's very important to kind of uh, let all the retailers know 
that they should not be falling prey to the existing uh, platforms. I couldn't agree with that more. I just couldn't think of a worse thing to do than to for a retail to try to do something inside the one big company that's uh, close to Brian and I out here, which with the name we've already mentioned, I just can't think of a worse thing that could possibly happen than to do that. And Brian, when you say gaming platforms, are you talking about Roblox? And- yeah, yeah. I'm talking about platforms like Roblox and others where they already have. Because I think it interesting is that you want to get the consumers where they are. Like It's great to create a brand new metaverse and trying to, trying to bring them. But in, in platforms like Roblox, there is already an established group of people, right? a group of gamers, a group of young audiences that you can already tap into like, I think uh, if you look at Chipotle and some of their experiments have paid off pretty well, they're able to make a fairly good presence in more. So I think I think it's interesting to look at that. I think I agree with Sandeep's point as well. At the same time, be careful with these mega close wall gardens as well. So I think it's a fine balance somewhere, right? You don't want the retailer to go build their own close wall garden, but also not be a slave to a mega close wall, but also take tap into existing <laughs> platforms that are there. And I love the concept of tapping into open platforms. So, yeah, that's that. I think that's a good place to start. Would Roblox be yeah. considered an open platform or a closed platform? It's a closed platform. Yeah. Uh, it would be. None of the platforms today that is... Although the word metaverse has been bandied about very loosely. We <laughs> need to really step back and really think what is a metaverse? And it's it, the answer is nobody knows. So we and see, yeah. So I think all of these platforms are trying to basically mimic the closed nature of what Facebook is and what other platforms have been. And I think that's where I throw caution to the wind and say, let's step back. If we have an opportunity here to define what should be the next generation of uh, applications and uh, opportunities, and we should do it in a forum that is open, so there is participation from everybody equally, and not really get up and get going in a platform like Facebook or Google or other. What do you think about that, Brian? I do agree with that. I think I definitely do agree with that. I think it's a, it's, I think, a experimental mechanism. What I mean is you hedge your bits a little bit. Work in a, some of the existing platforms where you can quickly run campaigns because most of retail works by running campaigns and testing things out. So you can test that out first. And then in the same time, I would agree with somebody, try to work with open platforms in the long run as a strategic initiative, because those things will give you the better control over how you're going to work with your consumer and also to a better way to understand them, right? Because the problem with closed platforms is that they will always be closed and then eventually, like, the amount of information you're going to be getting from these platforms for single view of the customer or any of your any of your retargeting initiatives is going to be very limited. Yeah, and the data harvesting is going to continue being owned by the platforms. So if, let's say, yeah. you go into a closed platform, all of the retailers' data right now is basically owned by them anyway. And why continue in that mode when you have an opportunity to redesign and do something different? And that is why I keep harping back onto, let's not go into the closed platforms, fall prey to the same kind of data harvest. And if the retailer's data, the retailer should own it. And that's not the case. You're co-owning that data today with the platforms. Correct, correct. I agree, yeah. And Sandeep, tell us about your new exciting initiative. We are very interested in hearing about Streamonics. Yeah, yeah. so basically here's what we looked at the evolution of the internet and its protocols uh, from Web 1 to Web 2, what's called as Web 2 or what is, whatever it's called as Web 3. Um, and one of the things is that, as I said, nobody knows what a metaverse is. Yeah, the use cases have not been concretely defined. But there's one thing for sure that the metaverse requires. Actually, two things. One is it requires low latency in terms of transfer of data. Second, it requires very high bandwidth 
of transfers. It has to be asymmetrical, you know, it can't be one-way flow like it is today. So keeping those into mind, we looked at the existing protocols that, that are being used today in order to do live streaming, in order to do all of those high bandwidth intensive applications. And what we realized is that it came up short. And it came up short in terms of that it can't really carry a high payload. But that's one thing that we can discover. The second thing we discovered was that in order for, in order for the data to be pristine, like things like deep breaks that shouldn't be, that should be, there should be a solution for that. The camera has to be connected and the information from the camera, including the metadata, the lens metadata, the pretty much anything that we can get out of the camera, we can today. And that has to be connected as part of the protocol. And that meant that the existing protocol settings that basically are being used is completely outdated for what's coming next. So we went back to the drawing board and we said, all right, well, let's do this new protocol that actually takes into account a tight integration of camera, blockchain, and the payload, which could be beyond 8K or big data, basically, any kind of packets. And in the new protocol, we came up with this whole concept of doing glass to glass, which basically means that take the content directly from a camera lens all the way to a end device, which could be a multi device or a right, not TV, it doesn't really matter. And in order for us to do that efficiently, we need to get rid of the middlemen. And the middlemen, in, in this case, are CDNs. Uh, the CDNs are the ones that introduce a lot of latency uh, into how things are done. Um, so we came up with this protocol, we tested it, it works, and we said, all right, now we have an opportunity to do something for the greater good, so let's open source it. And that's what we have done. And the open source project is Foundation, and you can go find a lot more information on that. And we basically are inviting anybody that wants to come in and, and work on this, can take the source code, spawn it, do what they want with it, as long as the integrity of the protocol is, is, to the, is pristine and actually has things like low latency and high bandwidth and stuff like that. So that's the exciting thing that we are on right now. And this potentially is where the metaverses could take effect because once you have that issue solved, then you can actually overlay interesting applications on the top of that uh, and, and enable a much better transfers uh, between um, devices or um, glass devices. Yeah, so really interesting. Is is RowanX, is that organized by verticals at this point, or is it still probably pretty horizontal? Yeah, it is organized by verticals at this point, but uh, because I happen to have left automotive and now in mostly in the media sector, the media entertainment sector, so the first iteration is, is looking for how to solve the live streaming for the media industry. Live streaming, it's, it's, a, big, it's a big issue in live streaming. If you look at latencies in live streaming, it's anywhere between 50 seconds to a minute. And when we talk about a certain company that is close to you guys, so last Super Bowl was a 30-minute live streaming latency. So basically, there's a, there's a massive issue in terms of how things are things are designed for live. Let's for a second look at what we're doing today. Right, this is a Zoom call. All three of us are basically please swap your own video, and there's absolutely no latency. Right, we're able to see each other. So which means the internet is not an issue. The issue is the systems that are designed on top of this internet is what is actually introducing all these latency, and that basically is the first thing that we need to solve for any kind of metaverse take effect. Take away the so that we have real-time data flowing back and forth. And that's basically what the Ronin Next Foundation is doing at this point of time, either start. But that being said, there are other verticals that are being in the works, like telemedicine is one of them, uh, education, 
is another one. Obviously, automotive and aerospace gets itself into that term more because there are huge data. CAD trials are huge. And there is also other applications, consumer applications, like Zoom, for example, or even Netflix, decentralized. So those are all applications that are the working groups are now starting to get form and start working. And yeah. this is super interesting, Sandeep. Now, the thing is, you do have quite a lot of large organizations and enterprises who are actively interested in this program and also actively participating in these. Can you tell us about the use cases that they're thinking about as well as the ones that you can offer? Sure. Because it'd be great for our listeners to hear how this is all, the level of traction that this is getting right now. So at this point of time, we are working with one of the largest uh, providers of the internet, about 30% of the world provides internet access to them on a daily basis. So we are basically building this infrastructure, with an open source infrastructure on top of their, their pipes. And obviously, pretty much all the large US media companies are keen to do a proof of concept on this for the live streaming needs. And that is basically being worked on at this point as well. And the other thing is, as we said, the camera is a very important part of whatever the metaverse ends up to in the future, which means that we need to really connect all the cameras uh, with the protocol so that we can get access to the metadata from the camera, like lens data, the color table, and all of those things. So being in Japan, that's interesting opportunity. And we have all seven Japanese camera manufacturers that are now working with us uh, on integrating this protocol directly into the camera itself. So when we get the content out of the camera, the metadata as part of the same stack. So there's tremendous amount of traction from a perspective of how do we fix this low latency, high bandwidth issue. And interestingly, that lends itself to the metaverse in the future. But we're not calling it metaverse by any means because nobody knows what it is at this point. We're just solving the plumbing problem, the design of the pipes and the design of how content flows from one to another. And that by itself has a lot of organizations really keen to explore and work and see what can be done in order to improve that existing services, even before we touch on the metaverse in the future. Yeah, I have to laugh as an analyst, the definition of the metaverse, I've looked at my old employer and as well as a few others, and it's really just a description of technologies because that's what it is. So it's a, there's tiers, there's layers, and there's a description of what technology is being used, which, you know, okay. Yeah, there's policy issues, right, in the metaverse. It's not just also technology issues, it's a policy issue too. So let's take a look at gaming companies. I think that's the closest that we have today to what could be called the metaverse. Let's look at Fortnite, let's look at PUBG and all of those things. One of the things that I would love to do in order for this to be a metaverse is have the, have your profile be open in the sense that if I create a profile inside of Fortnite, why can't I carry that same profile and my data along to another gaming, gaming metaverse? And it's policy issue. So basically, I don't think Fortnite would want your profile to be carried into an Xbox or Xbox to uh, Sega. It's nothing to do with technology. Can we bridge those things to carry my data, my profile across these platforms? Absolutely. But will the companies as a policy block it? 100%. And then why is it called a metaverse then? <laughs> if I can't have an open access to my data and my profile to go around and use it as I see fit. Instead, I am actually creating various profiles that are owned by those platforms. 
Yeah. Welcome to my world. Trying to drive a forecast on metaverse spend. And it's just basically a series of individual technologies. It's not a cohesive thing. And we've just, like any good analyst, we see some interest and we draw a circle around it and call it, come up with a name. So I'm not exactly sure who came up with the actual name, but yeah. It's, it's definitely interesting for you as a scientist actually working on real problems and then me as the guy that just tries to draw circles around technology spend and everyone's looking for a new term. And so I think that's what you're, you're absolutely seeing. Yes. Interest around. Look, there are some really killer applications for the metaverse. So if we really want to talk about what a metaverse, you know, you know in a way that in education, that is one of the things that I think has real real ramifications. Most of the, let's look at somebody's teaching in physics in the class, right? They're basically drawing equations on the board or are trying to do a two-dimensional drawing to show, show showcase how gravity works. In the metaverse, I think you could potentially do a lot with three-dimensional data, with immersive data and things like that to educate people. And it could, it could be an open metaverse, an open education metaverse that every university can participate and then have you know, have, have, have a global outlook in, in how we are educated. Actually, this killer is you know, space in that. Uh, you know, the secondary is the secondary stuff is more of a nonprofit, but mental health is, is a big issue for everybody. You know, and pretty much anywhere, mainly because of COVID, it's even had you know, had a higher impact because the metaverse actually does give you a social experience as a power anonymously that can actually participate and get help, seek help. You know, all of the, I think there are some really interesting use cases there, but that's not what we are actually talking about today. Most of the time, we open up a metaverse article, it's about NFT that, NFT this. And really crazy amount of money throwing and being thrown around. And that doesn't really lend itself to a constructive next generation of the internet. Yeah. I can tell you how articles are created. Somebody's got to be interested in them or somebody's got to be sponsoring yeah. them. One of the two. And right. Right. as important as the point you're making, Sandeep, probably the plumbing isn't, even though uh, I just spent a bunch of money replumbing my house. So I know exactly how important plumbing is, but it's not driving a lot of clicks or downloads, which welcome to my world. That's how crazy the retail analyst world is getting where you have to chase hot technologies if you're dry, trying to drive downloads. NFT, right. people are writing about NFTs that couldn't couldn't even spell NFT if they tried. So it's about driving clicks. And I think that's what Brian and I are very concerned about this particular technology is or strategy or whatever is that we do this right and not just spend a lot of lo, retail spend a lot of R&D chasing whatever the hot new article is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with uh, what Brian had indicated earlier on in this conversation that I do small campaigns and stuff like that, not to look at KPIs for how the campaign did, but more of uh, an education to figure out how these different platforms, whether it's Roblox or Sandbox or Decentraland, what are the opportunities there? But don't commit millions of dollars into this because it's not ready yet. And we actually don't know what a metaverse is yet. So we, it's a learning process that all of us are actually going through to figure this out. There are various moving parts in all of this in order for it all to come together. And nobody actually has them. Somebody at Sandbox says, I know what it is. It's actually not true. They think they know what it is, but it's not evolved enough. And it hasn't iterated enough yet to conclude this is what a metaverse is. Yeah. Yeah, because I think it's a, that's a good find, Sandeep. I agree with you. Because if you really look at it, look at any other new technology that then that needs to take shape, right? Yeah. First of all, the technology has to exist. The other is the technology should be so easy it can move from one to another really fast. And the third, they got to be massive adoption. You got to have a community. And they have to kill our apps and an ecosystem built on top of that adoption. So all those things take a very long time to really formulate. Exactly. And then what happens is everything that happened everywhere else, stuff that happened in e-commerce, stuff that happened in social media. So 
all the type of consolidation, the fear of missing out and everybody right. doing their own thing, then eventually right. mega fragmentation, lots of noise and eventually right. everybody says, this doesn't work. And then right. they yeah. run away from the technology, right. like black eye, and then yeah. really one of the people will catch it and then it will kind yeah. of go away. Yeah. Yeah, history is all history is prologue. Think about it. Google is not the first search engine. It was the 16th search engine. There were search engines before Google that failed. Uh, and yeah. to a certain extent, Google kind of said, all right, they, they have, what they hit upon was the page rank. And that kind of set them apart from the other search engines and enabled them to basically rule the world. They talked so, back to something really interesting. Sandeep is that people who got plumbing right yeah. thought of rule the world, which I think. Yes, exactly. And yeah, I think the evolution of where we are, or whatever we call this, a metaverse, is what really happened during the dot-com era around 93, 94. Uh, there was a lot of companies, and obviously have invested in a lot of things, and guess what? The only survivors out of that was eBay, Amazon, and Google, and Facebook came a bit later. Um, yeah, so yeah, I think and that, talking yeah, about plumbing, yeah. another company that got the plumbing right is... I was up like that. <laughs> but if you really look at all the guys who actually ruled the world, were all the people who got plumbing... Exactly. So I think this is where we are. We are in the 93, 94 era of the metaverse. It's going to take another three to five years for companies to iterate. Some will spectacularly fail. And out of nowhere, somebody like Amazon, somebody like that closely innovates and get the plumbing right, will be the reverse for the next two decades. And hopefully this time around, it's an open world. It's not like closed platforms like we have today. Yeah, interesting. So what what advice do you have for retailers that are starting to, they're reading the analyst articles, they're reading some of the silly fluff pieces. How do they how do they begin to experiment here? I'm sure Brian has his opinions, but let me ask you specifically, what should a retailer be doing? Let's say a tier one retailer, grading a billion dollars in retail revenue. So significant players, how do they start this experimentation process? Yeah, first of all, don't read anything that's written on the metaverse because it's all fluff pieces at this point. Uh, unless it's on, know. unless it's from this week in innovation, <laughs> then you can read it. But I agree with you. Everything else, ignore. And I think uh, don't, you know, I would say, any advice I would give is that don't get it and don't get don't get bought into the hype, whatever that is today. The flavor of the day today happens to be NFTs, and then there is other things that's going to be uh, different. But don't, I would, if I was, if I had to give an advice to you know, all of the retailers, I would say watch, not do anything at this point in time. Keep a close tab of what's happening, not through anal- and, and watching analytics or analysis of uh, certain you know, uh, writers or stuff like that, but by doing uh, quick stealth deployments into the existing platforms and learn from them and formulate your long-term. And this is a long-term, it should be treated as a long tail. It can't be like quick pump and dump schemes. You can't be doing that. You have to basically play the long game. So I, the advice I would give is, Experiment, but plan for the long game. Don't get sucked into something that is trend of the day and invest a lot of money in it. While it might work for a few months, it probably eventually will fail because that's the nature of the industry today. There is lots of pump and dumps happening in this space. Interesting. So Brian, what's what's iteration on 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 what retailers should do with the metaverse. I think we agree with Sandeep. I think that thing is watch, but watch in the sense is not watch in terms of sit in the sidelines, but rather make small experiments. Some of them could be stealth. Some of them could be private. Some of them could be like friends and family. Some of them could be even small scale campaigns. 
do a lot of that stuff and try out a few things. Because I think it's always good to, when you formulate your own opinions, only when you have experimented yourself, you can formulate clear opinions, opposed to looking and buying an analyst report or trying to look at a lot of synthesized data, right? Because especially in, a, in an area that still hasn't, it's at the very early of its uh, in a curve. It's uh, very early uh, at the very early stage of its S curve. So that's something that I would very carefully uh, think about. But also, like I would encourage to do experiments and don't and yeah. don't get into the hype. And experiments should be in not just from a technology perspective, which is both, which is a key piece, and that has to be taken into account. But it should be about trying new monetization models because obviously. In the, it, whatever this metaverse takes effect, the monetization is going to be slightly different because it's going to be all microtransactions, whereas the current platforms are not that way. So you have to take into account that you need to structure your monetization more towards microtransactions rather than subscription-based stuff that, that seems to do the world today. I think the subscription has to die <laughs> if the metaverse will ever to succeed. Because that's the huge, that's one of the reasons why Netflix has lost 920,000 subscribers in the last few months. If they had done microtransactions like Apple TV does in terms of buying your assets, whatever the Netflix thinks would be okay. And I think the metaverse is prime for that. It's microtransaction-based monetization. So they should be experimenting on that level, not just technology. Well, that's that's really interesting. Brian, sounds like something we probably need to, to dig further deep in. Hey, Sandeep, as we start to wrap up, obviously, you've been an entrepreneur for many years and on multiple continents. What advice would you give a young entrepreneur just getting started? Can you be specific, an entrepreneur from which sector, any sector, or just it's maybe technology, not technology, because there's entrepreneurs in many different... Yeah, uh, well, different, I don't know. Yeah. Probably, let's maybe, I think our patch is more retail tech or retail CPG technology as opposed to retailer starting an entrepreneurial business. So if you're a, if you're a young engineer, like a Brian sitting at Apple, how do you, how would you get started? Or how would you suggest that? Um, yeah, it's very specific to retail. I would say go back and read about brick and mortar. There has been a history of brick and mortar stores as long as civilization has existed and it has successfully done well. And with each iteration of technology that's come into play, it's transformed itself and has moved into the next layer. So I think knowing the history benefits the future. So if you can go back and look at how brick and mortar stores negotiated their issues that they faced and read all the way through to how the retail today is actually trying to negotiate those issues they're facing with the and the new technologies and stuff like that. In there, as an entrepreneur, you can come up with ideas that could benefit for you to go out and raise funding and start a company. That's, that's fascinating. If you knew how few uh, tech executives have really ever even really even understand retail, you'd be shocked because it's single digits. It's smart, super smart people, great engineers, very little respect for the industry itself. And I think that's what you're getting at. It's hard to respect an industry if you don't understand its history. If you don't understand the fact yeah, that... Yeah, exactly. Then applying technology at retail is not the solution. As I said, come back to the plumbing. You have to come back to the plumbing. You've got to you know, decipher what has failed. And for you to do that, it has to get from a retail perspective into supply chain. That's where basically where you need to focus on. Uh, and figure out what are the issues there and how do we solve that. And then only technology on top of that in order for you to scale. And last question for you, what skills that you use today wish you, do you wish you would have paid more attention to when you're back in college or at the earliest part of your career? Specifically to me, I would say mathematics <laughs> because that's what it, all of this is. Whatever I've done in the last, whatever, 20 years has been purely math-based, whether it's AI or 3D or even designing the protocol. 
Uh, so I, you know, I think if I had to go back, I probably would probably try to focus more on that skills instead of trying to fastly acquire at this stage of my life. So that's the first. That's the first vote for math. <laughs> Just yeah. so you know, I, I gotta let my daughter know. I gotta have. <laughs> Boy, that's for sure. I struggled through. Yeah. I struggled through math, and uh, fortunately, my son got my wife's genes, math genes, and he's right. done. He's done well. <laughs> right. Thanks for your time today. How would if somebody wants to get in touch with you regarding your uh, foundation? How do they get in touch with you? Who you're looking for? Who should be interacting with you? Sure. In regards? So you can go to the Roninex.foundation site. It's a HTTP Roninex.foundation. And there is information there on how to join the foundation. It's basically a nonprofit. It's open source source software. Participation can come in many different ways. You could participate as a programmer to contribute uh, to the protocol and to what we're trying to do, which is the open source source code. That's one. And the second is if you want to do those, those small projects that Brian and I were discussing earlier to figure out what the market, how the market behaves to to the next generation of whatever this metaverse is. You could use the infrastructure, which is which is part of the foundation and then run small. We have our own sandbox that you can actually test any kind of monetization that you think would be interesting for you. That's another way to participate. And the third way to participate is in basically anybody that actually is interested in working for an open source marketing. And in order for us to Get this protocol with all kinds of industries. We need vertical, uh, vertical talent. So you could come in and contribute your time and uh, help us do the marketing. So community from a source code perspective, enterprises that want to use the sandbox to test out whatever the monetization hub that they think is interesting for them uh, using the technology. And the third is obviously a uh, community again from the marketing perspective. Fantastic. And we'll have all the that, that detail in the show notes. So it'll just be a click away. Cindy, thanks for your time today. Fascinating stuff. I love the conversation around metaverse. It's a little more engineering centric as opposed to analyst or, or reporter hype centric. So I appreciate that. Thanks for stopping by today. All right. Thank, thank you. you for that, the it was fun. Yeah. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. For more info, refer to the pod notes below. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating and review. It really helps us grow. I'm your host, Jeff Roster, analyst at large. If you want to connect, follow us on Twitter at JeffPR or at Brian Sathanation, or connect with us on LinkedIn. Visit my website at roster.retail.com or brians at editor.ai. Until next time, stay safe and have a great week.